Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Welcome. You're listening to World Weekly with me, Ben Hall. Figures out this week showed that the Spanish economy returned to growth with expansion of 0.1%, putting an end to a gruelling recession that had lasted more than two years and left one in four workers without a job. None other than Bill Gates bolstered the feel-good factor by making a big bet on the recovery of the country's construction sector to become the second largest shareholder in FCC, the Spanish Construction and Facilities Group. So what is happening in the Spanish economy and is it a sustainable recovery? Joining me on the line are Tobias Buck, the FT's Madrid bureau chief, and Mike Steen, the FT's Frankfurt bureau chief. Tobias, can I start with you? How are the latest figures and the return to growth seen in Spain? Is this vindication? Well, it's obviously sparked a lot of enthusiasm here from the government. Obviously, the return to growth was not unexpected, but it did obviously confirm that this brutal Spanish recession that lasted nine consecutive quarters is finally over. I think the best shorthand version of where we're at with regard to the Spanish economy is that the recession is over, but the crisis continues. Uh, If you look at some of the most important economic data, you see that the budget deficit in Spain is still twice as high as the EU wants it to be. You have debt to GDP approaching 100% at the end of next year. You have a, a private sector that is still hugely indebted compared to the European average. And of course, most importantly, you have an unemployment rate of 26%, one of the highest in the Western world. So you still have a lot of very severe economic problems. Spain looks like it's returning to growth, but it will be very slow, very anemic growth, which is why really even the most optimistic economic forecasts suggest that even two, three, four years from now, Spain will still suffer an unemployment rate of of, of around 20%. Let's just dwell on the positives for a minute. This has been an export-led recovery in Spain. The Spanish government and its friends in Berlin would say that this is partly down to austerity and to economic reform and regained competitiveness. Does that tell the full picture? There are certainly elements of truth to that. Spain has become much more competitive. Some of the structural reforms that Spain has pushed through have helped. Spain did a reasonably good job of sorting out its financial sector. Uh, It created a bad bank. It uh, recapitalized all the worst banks in the sector. And they are now looking ahead to the forthcoming asset quality review by the European Central Bank with some optimism. So they've certainly made progress in terms of labor costs, in terms of introducing more flexibility into the labor market. They're tackling the pension system now, which is, of course, a very important issue. And as I said, they've done well on the banks. And I think what really hovers over all of this, and perhaps Spain's biggest strength, is that it has had a political stability. It has had a government that was able to push through reforms despite uh, lots of protest on the streets. And this obviously sets it apart from many of the other troubled countries in the Eurozone. Mike, one of the things that may weigh on Spain's export recovery is the strength of the euro. Is that a big concern in Frankfurt? 
I think it's a growing concern, yes. Incredibly unhelpful timing, I suppose, given that the big hope for recovery in places like Spain has been based on export. So at exactly that moment for the euro then to start appreciating is clearly unhelpful. Though on the other hand, you can obviously also see it as a return of interest and a bit of external confidence in the eurozone, which is all down to the fact that certainly the hot phase of the crisis seems to be past us. If you look at the eurozone as a whole, I think that there are these worries. There's the, the appreciating euro, and today we've, we've just heard that the block-wide inflation figure is just 0.7% at an annual rate for October, which is way below what it should be, according to the, the European Central Bank's mandate, which is meant to keep it just below but close to 2%. And that's an average for the eurozone. One would expect inflationary pressures to be even weaker in the beleaguered periphery. Yeah, exactly. That does mask a a variety of of rates. But even if you look at Germany, they're down to 1.2% in the most recent numbers from them, down from 1.4% the month before. So this disinflationary trend is there across the whole block. And under normal circumstances, that would be just an open goal waiting for the ECB to turn around and say, right, we're going to cut interest rates, which so far they haven't done. And it's going to be interesting to see whether they do it this month, they have a meeting next week or in December or or not at all. And there, there still seems to be a lot of debate and argument at the ECB about what the right course of action is. Partly because, of course, interest rates are already so low that the ECB's main rate is 0.5%. And throughout the crisis, we've seen one of the big problems is that the low interest rates set in Frankfurt are, in inverted commas, doing wonders in Germany where you can get a very cheap mortgage, thank you very much, or if you are a company that wants to borrow money, you can get a cheap loan. But that's not the case for small companies in particular in the countries like Spain, where arguably that's desperately needed because it's small and medium-sized companies that tend to create jobs more quickly when you're trying to get a recovery. And without that, there's little hope of those awful unemployment figures getting any better. And again, today, the stats office of the EU has put out the latest unemployment numbers. And sure enough, unemployment across the block is stable at 12.2%, which is a bad number, particularly because it includes the still pretty bad Spanish numbers. There's been a slight improvement in Portugal, but not really much. And Greece remains very bad too. Mario Draghi has up till now said there's no evidence of deflation across the block. Will they start worrying more in Frankfurt about the threat of deflation? I think at the moment it's, it's still a concern about disinflation. But clearly, they're going to be worried about deflation, which is when prices fall sustainably over, over a length of time and across many countries. But objectively, we're not there yet. Now, the, the problem with deflation is classically people say it's too late if you already see it happening. So they do have to be very aware to the risk. But the IMF drew up some signs of deflation, which various bank economists have then used to create models. And at the moment, still, it's technically termed a sort of moderate risk of deflation, I think. It hasn't slipped into a, a high risk. But so it's something they'll be watching. I think the other thing, though, to note is although they've been significantly missing their inflation target since April of this year, but if you look back over the inflation numbers during the crisis, there, there was a period in 2009 where there was, on a monthly basis, deflation for a number of months. Again, that wouldn't kind of necessarily hit their definition of proper deflation because it didn't last for a a very long time. But that's just to say that, you know, there there have been moments in the crisis where inflation has actually been even lower than it it is now. I mean, the the other get out of jail card for the ECB is that this 2% target is over the medium term, which means something like three or four years. So they've got a certain amount of room for riding through this kind of thing. But I just think, you know, today's headline number of 0.7% is 
so eye-opening that there'll be at least a verbal response from them at the next meeting, even if they don't take action. The other thing is, if you look at today's inflation number, then a chunk of that was due to energy costs, which have actually outright fallen. They fell by 1.7% in October. If you strip out energy costs and food and tobacco and alcohol to get what's what's termed core inflation, that too is slowing down. That's gone down to 0.8% from 1%. So clearly there's stuff for them to worry about. But the flip side of the argument is that particularly in Germany, there's little appetite for an interest rate cut. There's already been consistent talk of interest rates being too low, too loose for Germany. You can see a bit more concern growing about the property market where uh, the Bundesbank recently said that apartments in city centres are overvalued by as much as 20%. But again, to put that into context, it's not like the UK. They've still got a long way to go. But I think that just shows that there is this divide about what to do. And and it shows also the trickiness of how do you create one monetary policy for for 17, soon-to-be 18 countries. On that point, there are plenty of people in Spain who would say, of course, that monetary policy was far too loose during the boom for Spain and now is far too tight. So, Tobias, just coming back to the Spanish recovery, it's still going to be a number of months, if not years, before we see domestic demand turning positive and adding to growth. Isn't that right? Yes, that's absolutely right. You see in part signs of a sort of classical export-led recovery. I mean, exports have been growing strongly for some time since the beginning of this year. You have a rise in companies investing in their plants, which is usually a sign that the recovery is sort of broadening out. And that would then at some point be followed by new hiring and a rise in disposable income and more consumption at home. Now, this is still the most plausible scenario in the years ahead, but there is one factor that will weigh very heavily on any domestic recovery, and that is, of course, a huge debt overhang. I mean, both private households and private companies are hugely indebted, and it'll take a long time for them to reduce their debt levels, which, of course, will weigh on consumption quite heavily. And to what extent has the regained competitiveness in Spain's export industries been at the expense of workers? Are they not just accepting lower wages and therefore a lower standard of living? That's absolutely the case. And it comes at a time when there has been very little progress in breaking up fairly crusty monopolies and uncompetitive markets such as telecommunications and energy and so forth. So while Spanish workers, even if they can still hang on to their jobs, have seen their wages squeezed quite heavily, their cost of living has not fallen to help this. Nonetheless, shouldn't we also be praising the fact that Spain has managed to achieve such an adjustment in such a short period of time? There are plenty of expert economists out there who would say that it's impossible to adjust without mass social unrest because inside a a fixed exchange rate zone without the power to, to devalue your currency. Haven't the Spaniards proved the naysayers wrong? It looks like they have. There are indeed very few historical examples of a country surviving with such immensely high unemployment rates. I mean, it looks like Spain will end up with more than a decade of unemployment above 20%. Now, I think where Spanish society has surprised many observers, especially from the outside, 
is in that uh, social peace has been maintained. We've had, uh, of course, demonstrations. We've had a lot of anger, a lot of frustrations, much discussed with the political leadership, both in Spain and, and across Europe. But it looks like this is not having any real effect on social peace. And there's, of course, some reasons for that. Uh, family networks are still very strong and the welfare system still functions fairly well. But that has been quite remarkable and indeed has disproved, I think, some of the more sceptical pronouncements about how Spain could deal with this crisis. Mike, is that how they see it in Frankfurt? They must also be feeling quite vindicated. After all, the European Central Bank has been quite determined in pushing the need for austerity coupled with economic reform. Yeah, indeed. There have been clear flag waivers throughout for fiscal austerity, although, of course, that policy has been driven out of Brussels, where you'll find most of the vindication. I think what's interesting, and it just reflects quite how no one really yet wants to declare things are too good is is that you get a very nuanced message in terms of you know where we are they haven't called the recovery as such mario draghi in his monthly statements after the meetings still says that the economic risks are, are on the downside so they're still very careful and I, I mean unemployment is not part of the ecb's mandate to look at unlike say the federal reserve in in the u.s but clearly they do look at it and they, they realize it it looks bad not to at least talk about the subject so they've been very cautious about where things are and, and how things are going. And of course, although across the Eurozone, there is now at least some growth in absolute terms, we're still well below where we were before the crisis started. There's still enough there for people to say, look, there's all these problems, but equally there has been enough progress. I mean, the big thing that the ECB will certainly pat themselves on the back for is getting through last year without the euro breaking up, you know, just taking that whole risk of a euro breakup out of the conversation. It is interesting now that we've seen it in recent months where you can have political crises in Italy or Portugal and markets will now treat those as local phenomena, unlike previously at the height of the crisis, where that would have a sort of inflammatory effect on everyone and everyone's bond yields would start going up and everyone would again start worrying about the fundamental nature of, of the project. It seems now we're at the point where Everyone thinks, OK, the euro exists, the eurozone is getting on with it, it's trying to fix itself. question is, when are we actually going to see these jobless numbers fall? And will we get to a point where we can have decent growth again, which is obviously needed to improve the unemployment? Or are we going to be stuck in this low growth, horrible jobless recovery situation for a long time? It seems like this recovery is going to take a rather long time. Uh, thanks very much, Tobias and Mike. And that's it for this week. My thanks to Mike Steen in Frankfurt and Tobias back in Madrid. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor. What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.